invite you to uh, worship the Lord and to invite His presence uh, here to be with us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible opportunity to worship you, to uh, lift you up, to magnify you. We ask God that you would uh, be with us this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor for it. You're an awesome and incredible God, and we thank you for who you are, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning and magnify the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated uh, this morning. We're going to uh, continue our series, and I have noticed, uh, and I hope it's just happenstance, but I have noticed since we have started this series on scriptural priorities, the crowd has gotten smaller. So it lets me know exactly where our priorities are at. Uh, but anyway, uh, that being said, uh, starting next week, we're going to uh, hopefully take a little different uh, avenue, a little different road. And uh, so you don't want to miss, uh, if you look around and see somebody that's not here that should be here, uh, you need to remind them about Sunday school. And uh, years ago, uh, when when Grace still had two services, Sunday morning Sunday school and then Sunday night service, we had a, uh, the reason we combined them is because everybody said it would be so nice if uh, Sunday school and Sunday night service could be combined. There, that way you could only have to get up and get dressed one time a day. And so we tried it. Everybody loved it. I don't know how many of you like that service schedule, but I think it's wonderful. I really appreciate getting up here in the morning, having church, two services, and going home and feeling just excited. But then excited, you don't have to get the kids ready, you get ready, and all that stuff again. So we, uh, we combine our services now. It seems that everybody just wants to show up at 11. And uh, so we need, if you see somebody that's missing this morning, remind them about Sunday school. Uh, this is where uh, you hear the word of God. I, um, I read a story years ago about a man who was an elder gentleman in the church. And uh, somebody was complaining about their midweek Bible study, that they, it was not very fruitful for them, that it was, uh, it was just, you know, the, the pastor gets up and he teaches this boring Bible study and everybody wants to sleep. And so there's really no sense in it. It's not a whole lot of pizzazz. It's not very memorable. And this elder gentleman stood up in the back and he said, you know, I've been married now for some over 65 years. And he said, every day that I have been married, my wife has got up and has cooked three meals a day. She cooks me breakfast. She cooks me lunch. And she cooks me supper every day. And he said, do you know out of all of the 65 years that I've been married and the hundreds and the thousands of meals that my wife has cooked, I can only remember about four or five that really just stand out. They really, I remember them. They were that special. But he said, do you know if I hadn't eaten all of those other meals that didn't stand out, I wouldn't be here today. And the same thing is, is true with the Word of God. It feeds your spiritual man. Some of them may lack the pizzazz. Some of them may not stand out. Some of them uh, may not be 
Some Bible studies may not be a whole lot of benefit to you, you think. But without the daily intake of the Word of God, without constant intake of the Bible, our spiritual man begins to suffer, and soon he will not be here. He will die. So if you uh, said all that to say, didn't plan on saying all that, but uh, if you see somebody that's not here this morning, remind them Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock. If you don't like, uh, if you don't uh, like to get up early, God bless you. Most of us don't. But there's this little thing called uh, need to. Alan Oggs preached a message one time, you got to have a want to. Uh, it is duty. It's our duty. All right. Enough of all that. Never planned it. Uh, we're going to continue our Bible study on scriptural priorities, and again, uh, probably next week we'll go in a little bit of a different direction, but I want to read this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, and we'll go through verse 7. Moreover, moreover brethren, uh, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desire Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Uh, we're talking about scriptural priorities, and the first priority that we talked about uh, is seek ye first the kingdom of God. The second uh, scriptural priority that we talked about is first be reconciled to your brother. The third uh, priority that we talked about was first cast out the beam of thine own eye. And this morning we're going to uh, somehow, it sounds like I've lost. Can y'all hear me? Okay. Uh, I lost it up here. Uh, and then first it says to uh, what we're going to talk about today is first they gave their own selves to the Lord. They gave their own selves to the Lord. This being the fourth lesson in this series is not an indication that giving ourselves to God is the fourth step in Christian living. Just because I'm talking about it fourth doesn't mean it's the fourth thing. Any person, and this is very closely related to the first study that we talked about in Seek Ye First the Kingdom, uh, but any person uh, that seeks the kingdom of God first will give himself to God. But here's where the catch comes in. Once we seek first the kingdom and once there's that initial giving ourselves over to God and to the kingdom of God, then there becomes that process, uh, there becomes that challenge of continuing and to keep ourselves dedicated to God. And that's what this scripture is addressing. Involvement in personal pursuits along with all of the, the means and the methods to do different things. Uh, our society, the environment of our society, 
um, it, it helps produce, if we're not careful, if we don't stay on top of things spiritually, a, a state of being lukewarm. And it becomes easy for people, uh, for the child of God, to give of their means rather than of themselves. And so we want to talk about that God is interested in your means, but only second to yourself. And when we talk about your means, we'll talk about that in a few moments, what all it means. God's cause can be projected. It can be so projected. It can be so put in front of us that a lot of times, and it happens with not just with in religious circles, not with just Christianity, but it happens in, in any cause-based uh, um, pursuit that people are into. It can get so projected uh, that people will eventually give to it without giving themselves to it. And it's, and it's unfortunate that, that that's happened in the church that, uh, that it's come. Now, I'm not against giving. Understand that. Uh, and you'll understand that hopefully more in just a moment. There are some projects in society. There are some projects in our lives that require uh, support without involvement. But the church and a relationship with God is not that way. God's priority is for us first to give ourselves to him. More than God wants anything else that you have, he wants you. While the, the gifts of your talent, the gifts of your time, the gifts of your money are needed and they're beneficial, the ultimate and the highest expectation that God has for your life is the gift of you. It's the highest expectation that God has for your life. God's kingdom needs men and women who are consecrated and who are willing to give themselves over to God. God can give man anything. Listen to this. It's an incredible statement. God can give to man anything. We all hoop and holler about the scriptures. Boy, there's nothing too hard for God. And boy, Jesus can do anything. And if God wants you to have it, he can give you anything you want or anything you need or anything he wants you to have. If he wants you to have a big house, he can give it to you. If he wants you to have money, he can give it to you. If he wants you to have good looks, he can give it to you. He passed by some of us. But he can give you anything he wants. But there's one thing that God wants, and only you can give it to him. And that is you. God only wants one thing. Of all of the things that we want, <laughs> we call them needs. As Brother Ricky Allman said one time, our needs is this. It's a plurality of things that we need and we want and we constantly ask God for these things and we should. I'm, I'm not against that, but understand God wants one thing. He only wants one thing and only man can give it to him. And only you can give to God what he really wants and that is you. It's, it's the only thing he gets. He never forces nor does he ever demand personal and individual loyalty. He only requests it and it is it is up to us, the humanity, to give it to him. During Paul's second missionary journey, he was directed in the vision, and most of you have read the, the vision in Acts chapter 16. Paul had to go to Macedonia, 
And in due time, he established some churches in Macedonia. And you will remember some of those cities. You've heard of them. Uh, Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, Berea. All of those are cities in Macedonia that Paul established. And so in the scripture setting that we read, Paul is talking about the Macedonians to the church in Corinth. Into Corinth uh, and he was talking about when he went into Macedonia, their, their very deep poverty, their very deep, um, uh, their, their, they seemingly didn't have a lot. They didn't have anything. They were, they were very poor people, but they were rich in the Holy Ghost. They were rich in the Spirit of God, and they gave themselves to God. And so Paul says that this is an example to other people. If you're going to engage Christianity, follow the example of the Macedonians. Don't just give of your means. Others are saying the Macedonians were poor. They didn't have a lot. They gave what they could. They gave of what they had, but they didn't have a lot. But they gave it. But that's not what Paul was emphasizing. Paul didn't emphasize the meager offerings that they gave or the, the little bit of support that they could offer. What he emphasized was that these people were sold out to God. And because they were sold out to God, when there was a need present, they did not hesitate to do anything they could to minister to that need. Paul is setting forth in this scripture read, uh, reference that we read today in the second epistle to the city of Corinth, who was actually a next-door neighbor to Macedonia. He tells them that in and the Macedonians in their, in their personal devotion to God, it shows that, that even in this deep poverty that they were willing to give to the kingdom of God. It wasn't their finances, Paul again was emphasizing, but it was their willingness that they first gave them own, their own selves to the Lord. After completely giving themselves to God, the Macedonians uh, decided that they could use their meager means to help even the less fortunate saints and the ministers than they were. The churches of Macedonia made a contribution to the poor saints in Jerusalem, according to Romans chapter 15. Now Paul prefaces all this by saying that they were in deep poverty. Now this, is, this whole Bible study is not going to center around giving. We're going to move on in just a minute. But understand the mindset that these people was in. They so cared about the kingdom of God that what they had, they were willing to share with even the, the more and the less fortunate. The church at Philippi, a city in Macedonia, sent help to Paul even after he had left their city. In this, and I'm going to read that scripture setting in just a moment, but even after he left their city, the, the church in Macedonia sent help to Paul to assist him in his journey. And these were people in poverty. Read Philippians chapter 4, uh, 18 and 19. And there's verse 19 we use all the time. But I want you to show you the verse beforehand. Verse 19 is the promise. You can't see it on the screen and I'm glad. It's the promise. This is the one we all hoop and holler about. Verse 19 we're going to read in just a minute is the one we claim. What we don't read is verse 18. All right. But I have all and abound. This is Paul writing. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus 
the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So there is a sacrifice. Here's what Paul is saying. I know that you're poor, and you have sent by this man, and there's a lot that has to do with, with this man that we're going to talk about in just a second real quick. But you have sent by him a sacrifice. It cost you something. It was a sacrifice. You gave of your poverty to support my ministry. And it was a sacrifice, and it's well-pleasing to God. It is a sweet odor. Now look at verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Anybody ever heard that scripture before? How many times have we said, oh, I'm so difficult, but I know my God will supply all of my needs. And I'm not trying to be condescending. Please understand. If you want the promise, Paul didn't say this is an open-ended promise. Just because you profess Christianity, this promise is yours. It came as a result of somebody selling themselves out to God and saying, you know what, God? You're my everything. I'm giving you all of me. They, they sold out before anything else in life is important, before anything else in life takes priority. God, I'm selling out completely to you. And because they completely sold out to God, Paul, they, they gave a gift. It was all they could do. They gave a gift. They sacrificed for the kingdom of God. And then Paul gives them this awesome promise. How much of the promise of God do we sometimes forfeit there was a song I was trying to remember the words of the other day about forfeiting some of the promises of God. Because of, and I have to talk to myself of my lack of completely selling out, completely giving myself over to God. That's when this promise kicks in, when we sacrifice for the kingdom. Uh, Epaphroditus, uh, who appears is a resident of Philippi in Macedonia. He was a dedicated servant to the kingdom of God. He is mentioned also in Philippians chapter 2 in verse 30. And the Bible says, Paul says of him for in, in this verse, that the work of, for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death. This man so loved the work of God. He so loved the kingdom of God. He so loved, he had dedicated himself to the point uh, in God's kingdom that he was nigh unto death for the work of God. He gives this incredible offering of sacrifice to Paul, and he receives an incredible promise. Our lives, according to this scripture reading, Paul is telling us that we should follow this example and first give ourselves to the kingdom, give ourselves over to Jesus Christ, give ourselves to the Lord. Let our lives be completely dedicated to him. Who is the best example of this in the whole Bible other than Jesus. There's none other that's a better example than Jesus Christ himself. He shows us a perfect example of sacrifice. Verse, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, Paul is writing, he says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty 
might be made rich. This is not just a, uh, a statement simply giving of, of, of Jesus giving their, his substance, but more of emptying himself. This is not saying that Jesus was rich and gave everything, all his riches away and became poor. What it's saying is that Jesus sur completely surrendered, and we all understand that he completely surrendered to the will of God. He emptied himself out for us. He, he gave, gave everything. He completely became void of his own will. He sold himself out. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but thy will be done. He prayed it at least twice. I can't maintain my will and be sold out completely to God. And so he gave himself to the will of God for his life. And we all understand that. And, and Paul is writing, he became poor. He became destitute that we might be made rich through his sacrifice. That is our responsibility as the church. It's not the, that we have to give away all our stuff. That's not what I'm saying, and you understand that. But what I'm saying is we need to empty ourselves into the kingdom of God, give our time, give our talent, give our everything over to God. But before we can do all of that, we first must give ourselves to God. The greatest offering that we can give to God is oneself. In God's law of first. Now you understand this is not a new biblical concept just started in the New Testament. God has always had a law of first. That is an incredible Bible study in of, in of itself. If you ever want to take time to delve into it, God's law of first. But even in the Old Testament, uh, under the first covenant, God established the principle of his priorities. Everything needs to be done, but there's priorities. I've said for years, in my own kind of way of thinking, uh, is when people convert uh, to, to a relationship with God, when people receive the Holy Ghost, sometimes we don't notice drastic changes in their lives. And I've oftentimes said, you know, there's sometimes if you were in charge of the fire brigade, and over here you have a huge forest fire, and it's about to burn down a hundred houses, and over here, you have a guy burning a pile of leaves in the backyard. Where are you going to send the bulk of your firefighters? Nobody. Put out the big fire. Isn't that an amazing concept? That you'll take care of the, the greatest issues first? If you are in a car wreck, and you have serious injuries and you're bleeding profusely and you also have a splinter in your finger and the EMT walks up and he starts to dig that splinter out of your finger, aren't you going to want to stop him and tell him, I wish you would deal with this severed limb over here first? It's the greatest priority. It's not that this doesn't need to be done, but there's something a little more dire here. And I've often said in people's relationship with God that sometimes some of the greatest priorities that God has for somebody's life is on the inside. We don't always see it. We don't always understand that God is trying to deal with, with major mentality, with major uh, mindset problems, with all of these things, and we don't see progression. 
But God has got his focus on the forest fire. He'll take care of the pile of leaves in due time. That's why we teach and preach and, and pound and beg and plead. Please be gracious. Please be merciful. Please be kind to people when they walk in those church doors. Because you don't know what God's doing. God is trying to put out a forest fire and we run over there with the hose trying to spray, spray out the little twig. So we let God work and God do things. So, uh, so God has always had this, this, this law or this principle of first, of priority. There are priorities in God's kingdom. God's requirements and his expectations for people have always been established. All the way through the book of Genesis, in the very beginning in creation, we get a, a snippet of God's priority list. We get, a, we get a, a presentation of God's priority list. God has established an order of dedication to God that follows throughout the entire Bible, even to this present time. First, he wants the individual, and then he wants a, a representation or a presentation of each individual's means. First, he wants the individual. If you'll remember, God slain the firstborn of Egypt. In doing that, he set Egypt free and established the Passover forever. He established the Passover, and when he did that, what did he tell the children of Israel that he was going to sanctify? He said, I'm going to take your firstborn sons, and they're going to become my priests. Does anybody remember that? He said that in the book of Exodus, that he sanctified the firstborn. It's always the first. It's priority. He later on substituted the firstborn for the entire tribe of Levi, and they became the priest. But at first, he said, I want the entire firstborn in Exodus chapter 13. You can read that. Today, in our present time, we are kind of under the same firstborn, firstfruits creatures, according to James chapter 1, verse 18. We are the firstborn into the kingdom of God. In the sight of God, we're the firstborn, and we are to be set apart unto him solely and entirely and completely. We are no longer our own, but we have been bought with a price redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we are the firstborn into the kingdom of God. We are his firstfruits. We are first. It is God's priority for us to be first. And in return of that, in return for that first, um, we owe God a first, and that is to first give ourselves to him. Secondly, after Israel had given themselves and their firstborn to God, he wanted them to willingly offer the first fruits of their labor unto him, according to Exodus 23, Exodus 34, Leviticus 2, Leviticus 14, and Leviticus 23. This was to be a lifelong consecration for each Israelite. Even the offerings from their flocks were to be firstborn. God wanted what was first in every aspect of their lives, themselves, and then their substance. So when we have been talking about Seek first the kingdom. First be reconciled to your brother. First cast the beam out of your eye. First give yourself to the Lord. 
This is God's order of first. Before anything else comes in our lives, we need to make sure these things are done. And why should we make, these, make sure these things are done? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. The Bible says, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the firstfruits of thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy precious shall burst out with new wine. If you give to God what is first, if you give to God what is priority, if you give to God what He wants, then He's going to make sure that you have what you need. He'll make sure that you have what you want. You have the firstborn and then the first fruits. In other words, you give to God what is first yourself, and then He will give you the, very, the first fruits. You have the man and then the means, the servant and then the service. It's God's priority for His people. There's God's call. There's my challenge, and then there is to give him yourself first. We've talked about the first fruit, and we'll touch on it, I said real quickly, and then we'll get off of it. But this is an incredible material, and, <laughs> I, you know, when you start talking about giving, people get real nervous. But it's a necessary part. You know, I was teaching in Bible study the other day, they were talking about somebody was we're talking about the threefold cord. Have you everybody ever heard about the threefold cord that's not easily broken? Does anybody know what the threefold cord is made up of? What's each part? Go ahead, raise your hand, tell me. Nobody? Threefold cord. It's also when Jesus said that there was the uh, there was the fruit being fruitful, uh, that some would give 30, some would give 60, and some would be a hundredfold. It's the threefold part. That is prayer, that is tithe, and is fasting. They're not anywhere, shape, fashion, or form more important than the other. They work together. And if you do those three things, if you, if you pray, if you fast, and if you give, then you have a threefold cord that is not easily broken. It's tough to rattle somebody. It's tough to break somebody. It's tough. We've seen people that have gone through unbelievable circumstance and yet they stay firmly attached to God. In, in almost every case, if you talk to them, you'll find out that they pray, they fast, and they give. It's God's, uh, it's God's threefold core. So we're going to talk about giving real quick and then we're going to get off of it. People uh, that, that claim to be in a relationship with God that withhold their tithe and offerings from the church church fall into a position just like Israel did in Malachi 3 and 8 when they robbed God. Those that refuse to use their talents will stand in judgment condemned to outer darkness according to Matthew 25, 14 through 30. If you refuse to use or to use your talent, those who love wealth and possession and things more than they love God face eternal separation from him according to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 16, in Luke chapter 18, the evidence is in God, or the evidence is in God wants and expects of us dedication of our time, our talent, our money, our service, etc. This is not just about money. Never should we develop a stingy, selfish, cheap, tight-fisted spirit towards the work of God. God has given so much to us, how can we withhold our substance from Him? 
When we begin to feel self-sufficient, self-made thinking, we have the privilege of withholding our substance. We should ask ourselves this scriptural question. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. What do you have that you didn't receive? Boy, it is quiet. Y'all are looking at me like, man, I hope I don't get tarred and feathered or I hope that you're understanding what I'm saying. Do you have a talent? If you have a talent and you're not using it for the kingdom of God because you're being stingy. Now, I know that there's certain circumstances and situations and, and all of that's fine. But if you're just being stingy, bless God, I'm not going to get up there and Use my talent because, well, they're not going to pay me. Or I don't receive enough glory. The pastor don't talk about me enough from the pulpit and tell how wonderful I am. It's not about you anyway. I'm sorry I'm sounding bad, mean, and all that stuff. I get in trouble for it all the time for my wife. I'm not trying to. Just the way I come across sometimes. But it's true. God has given us everything that we have. If you have money, you got it from God. If you have the talent to, to earn, you got it from the God. If you can sing, you got that from God. If you can play, you got it from God. If you know how to do uh, anything for the kingdom of God, any talent, any skill, anything you have, you got it from God. Who are we to tell God, I'm not going to use it for you? If God gave it, can God take it? I remember hearing, this was back years ago. It's amazing how many things I can remember, stories and stuff, but I can't remember things I need to remember, like my wife's birthday, my anniversary. But I remember hearing a story years ago about a man that got a bad spirit. He could. He at one time was a song leader in a, his particular church, and he got a real bad spirit about him, and decided he was never going to sing a church again. His pastor worked with him, and they prayed and fasted, and nah, I ain't doing that stupid junk. He copped himself a little attitude. He testified about it later. He was involved in an automobile accident and his neck hit the steering wheel and crushed his vocal cords. Then he couldn't sing. Now, I'm not saying that's wrath from God and judgment, but if you have a talent, be careful the attitude that you get about your talent because if God gave it, it can certainly be taken away. Don't mean to sound, but anyway quit with all that it is God given everything to us nevertheless the fact remains that first of all in God's economy before you give your talent before you give your ability before you give anything to God he wants you too many people profess to have a relationship with God and they live prayerless, undated lives and they compensate for that by just giving something to the church. 
are y'all awake? <laughs> Buddy, I feel like I am alone on the mountaintop today. Substitution of money and talent for consecration is not the will of God. As sure as day follows night, a man who gives himself will give of his means. But it's sad to say that many people give of their means but never surrender themselves. I'm not saying don't give in the offering. But I'm saying first, along with you giving in the offering, along with you giving your talent, along with you giving your ability, give yourself to God. Surrender yourself to God. The problem with the rich young ruler wasn't the amount of money he had. It was his lack of dedication. Those who leave all, who give themselves, receive both here and the hereafter. I was talking with Brother Richardson. You remember missionary to Taiwan. He came when Brother Holland was here, and, and he got up and shared an incredible testimony. It was his personal testimony. And I was talking with him at lunch. And, uh, man, to hear what they have done. Pack up, sold everything they had, and went to Taiwan to start a church. He told me there's 23 million people in the country of Taiwan. Out of 23 million people, they are so ingrained in their Eastern religion that he has about 300 converts in right at 20 years. That's how hard of a field that is to work in. He was telling me about the island and in its widest place, it's only about 80 miles wide. It's not very long at all. And most of it is a mountain. And so most of those 23 million people live on one-third of the island. The other two-thirds is virtually uninhabited. And so they live straight up. There's just these huge, massive uh, apartment buildings where people live. Very, very small, but uh, they gave everything to the kingdom of God. They have sold out to the kingdom of God, and, and, and you don't have to become a missionary to Taiwan. I'm not saying that to sell out. But we have to sell ourselves to God, and if we do, we, re we receive the life both here and the, who, the hereafter. But people who stumble over paying tithes, giving offerings, people that have problems giving their talents and giving their skills and giving their abilities, they don't have a problem with money. They have a problem with themselves being sold out to God. This is what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Never forget, money cannot praise God. Never forget that wealth cannot worship nor witness to a lost soul. Gifts can help a missionary, but they can't be a missionary. Only men and women can fill these very lofty roles in our relationship with God. Gold and silver have never driven a nail. They've never cut a board or painted a church. Nobody's talent has ever preached a sermon. 
Only people can do these things. Man and man alone has the distinction and the honor of accomplishing these goals. We need to renew ourselves. We need to, to renew a spirit of sacrifice, a restoration of faithfulness, a revival of a lost prayer life, a recommitment to worship, to commit to working in the altars and, and, and along with any of the physical environment of, or involvement in the church. And, and all of these things, we need to do these things as part of our relationship with God. And, and all of these things need to be accomplished, but we need to sell ourselves to God. And if God wants us to do something, we need to do it. If God desires for us to do something, we need to do it. Whatever the will of God is for our life, we need to do it. One of the earliest examples of God's of a man confusing God's priorities is found in Genesis 4. It didn't take man long. It's in the story of Cain and Abel. Cain disobeyed God in the kind of sacrifice that he wanted. And he presented the sacrifice that he wanted to present to God. The problem goes deeper though into what Cain sacrificed. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 5, it says that, that unto Cain he had no respect. Cain was willing to give what he had. He was just not willing to give what God wanted. Cain was willing to give what he had. He just didn't want to give God what he wanted. God wants out of us you. I'm not going to get done with this Bible study and... and like I've said, we're probably next Sunday we'll move into another arena. But, but understand that God wants you. Everybody say, me. That's the most important thing you have to God. Everything else is needed. Everything else is needful. But as Cain did, we need to get our priorities straight. God wanted a particular sacrifice. He wanted a particular offering. He didn't want just anything. And so what God wants out of us is what we should give and not try to give God what we think he should have. And I want you to think about that for a minute. I don't want you to, to just blow it off. That's not a statement just to throw away and, and be done with it. But understand, it's not about what we want to give God. It's about what God wants from us. And if we'll give ourselves to God, if we'll dedicate ourselves to God and say, God, maybe what I've been giving you isn't what you wanted. So now I'm willing to give you what you want. And I'll sacrifice whatever it takes. Sometimes it's time. I know time is precious. But sometimes God just wants our time. Are you willing to sacrifice? The Macedonians gave something they didn't have. They gave something they couldn't do without. They were in deep poverty, but yet they gave what cost them the most, and that was their money. Some of you, it may not be money, may not cost you the most. It may be time. It may be talent. The fact is they gave what cost them the most. And when they did, they got an awesome promise that my God will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. That promise still holds true. Give to God what he wants and watch what happens to your needs. It'll work every time.
God's an awesome God, isn't he? Aren't you thankful for the Lord this morning? Praise the Lord. Get up. God bless you. You may uh, be dismissed. Shake somebody's hand.